friends, welcome to episode 201 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I'm Sarah. I'm Rob. How are we doing, Rob? Oh, I'm very full from dinner and it was wonderful. Very full, fat corned beef sandwiches. Can't right. argue. Oh my god. That corned beef turned out good. Yeah, it did. It really did. I made corned beef. I don't usually cook all that much lately. I used to cook a lot more in the past, but like, been just too damn busy. Mm-hmm. But I could not avoid that corned beef when I was at oh, no. Costco. It just looked too damn good. No, you so. gotta pick that up. Yeah. And, and surprising, like, in a pressure cooker. Like, pressure cookers surprise me all the time. They really do. They but defy like, the laws of physics, honestly. Like, well, I mean, they use the laws of physics, abuse them, and toss them to the side like, you don't know me? Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. <laughs> I'm going with that. That's my answer, and I'm sticking with it. That is fair. That is fair. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, I, I'm going to just say that we have a system spotlight tonight that surprised me, mm-hmm. uh, that we were both waiting to do. Yeah. Like, it's been on our list Um but I'm going to say I am glad, like I said, we were talking about this earlier, uh, I'm glad we are doing this now, after we've done a ton of other system spotlights, after we've been through all of our games, after we've praised all kinds of other systems, because it it definitely gave, it it has given me a different perspective on this. Yeah, I uh, uh, it, it's starting to kind of become like a Godwin's Law for us. Um, yeah. Know, we, we would go online and we would search for, you know, various... Uh, you know, uh, opinions and whatnot on various topics that we that, that we cover and whatnot, mm-hmm. and uh, it seemed like, especially in like r slash RPG on uh, on Reddit, um, any discussion uh, would eventually, like within within fifteen posts, someone would mention Blades in the Dark or one of the derivatives or one of the derivatives of yeah. it. Yeah, you know, um, the the core <clears throat> system definitely. Uh, which... Hey guys, I'm I'm looking for a system. What what should I run? This at Blades in the Dark. Yeah. But but I'm not running a heist based criminal steampunk game. Doesn't matter. Blades in the dark. Blades in the dark. Go pull, go get the book. Look <laughs> at it. Look at it. You you bloody well should be. <laughs> yeah yeah. And it, honestly, taking it at this point, I will say, it's worth it. Yeah, it's worth yeah. it. Yeah. I will open by because uh, <clears throat> typically we get a a pretty standard question, and it didn't come up on our list this time. But I'm it's it's definitely a standard question of. Is the game good for starting storytellers? And part of me says yes, and a big part of me says no. And I'll explain as I as we go through this, but like my initial take on it is mm-hmm. because I've done other games. It you look at it and it is daunting the amount of change. Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. If you are a D and D person and you're gonna go play Blades in the Dark, be prepared. Be prepared for your mind to be warped in a new direction. Yeah, I um, in a good way. <clears throat> uh, I, I I kind of I kind of feel the same way about Blades in the Dark that I do um, about uh, FromSoft's absolute masterpiece, Sekiro: Shadows Die Twice. <laughs> Fair and enough. Hear, hear me out. Enough. Hear me out. Okay. Um, of course. Uh, so I was, a, I was a Dark Souls veteran. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, FromSoft's other games, um, and uh, you know, you learn certain things about how those games are to be played. Okay, mm-hmm. so when FromSoft puts out another game, and it shares a lot of the same typical mechanics. You know, right. you've got sculptors' idols instead of bonfires, but you still have these checkpoints that reset all the enemies, that replenish your health. Right, <clears throat> you know, allows you to kind of teleport between them, mm-hmm. uh, you know, things like that. Um, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of commonalities between the games, and I think that that does it a misservice because, in its core gameplay, 
if you try to play Sekiro like a Dark Souls game, you are going to have a bad time. Because Dark Souls tells you you don't need armor if you don't get hit. Mm -hmm. And that you can just dodge everything. Just dodge roll through it, right? Mm -hmm. Well, they give you a dodge button in Sekiro. But if you use it, you will get punished for it 80% of the time. Yeah. You have to deflect. You have to block. You have to parry You're things. in combat. And yeah, you you are to get in their face and mix it up sword fighting style. Um, and so there was when you first saw that game come out, there was two different types of people. There was those who just picked it up as their first game going, gee, this game is really fun and I really enjoy the mechanics. And a bunch of Dark Souls veterans like myself going, what is this piece of crap? How do you I'm getting I'm getting killed left and right. I don't enjoy this. Mm -hmm. This is stupid. Mm -hmm. I can't dodge anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that's, that's a great analogy. Yeah. And I think, I think you know, to kind of wrap it back around to Blades in the Dark, to drive my point home, it's very much like that. I think if you start off with Blades in the Dark, you're going to have set in your mind, you're, you're, you're going to walk into it with, without preconceived notions about right. how role-playing games should be, mm -hmm. what rules should govern how a role-playing game runs, mm -hmm. Um. And you're going to take it at face value. Mm -hmm. But I think if you walk into Blades in the Dark as a veteran and expect your bog standard, this is initiative, this is combat, this is hit Here points, your stats. here's your stats, you know, you're you're just not, it's none of that's there. No. And you're no. you're not going to be, you know, you're, you're going to have, you're those, I think those preconceived notions can get in the way of learning Blades in the Dark freshly. Yeah, it is. It is most definitely not a game of attrition. Mm -hmm. It is most definitely not. And that is what most of those games are, what it's, most tactical games are. Honestly, not even like a really traditional game. It's a very, very much dips into like the narrative storytelling style game. Yeah. All right. So let's 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 do our, <clears throat> as much of our diligence that we normally do and then stop because I, I will say this. Sarah normally is the one who dives into the mechanics and pulls all that stuff apart. And then I look at the storyteller section and get a feel for how that section differs. Mm -hmm. This time, I literally cracked open the book, read the acknowledgments, and went, I'm interested. And then proceeded to write 12 pages worth of show notes. <laughs> and And unexcusably look at Sarah and say, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm saying, and, and, and where I turned around and said, I'm not, I'm super busy at work. I do not have time to, so, to uh, this. this so week, yes, so. Uh, it was, it was definitely eye opening. Now, um, this is a John Harper product. Yeah. And you utterly derailed the moment you saw the name John Harper. Cause you looked up the other things that he's done. Yeah. Cause I, I was like, John Harper, I know this name. I don't know why I know this name, but you know what? Let me do what I normally do. Let's get some history. Let's see what's going on. Oh, he wrote Lady Blackbird. Mm -hmm. I've played Lady Blackbird. You have played I played Lady that Blackbird. with Mad Elf and uh, a little bit, and I remembered how that was designed. Lasers and Feelings, which is something we review. Yes. Um, uh, Aegon, which I have looked into, um, which is a Mythic Age game. But then there's Storm Furies, which I know was on my list of things to look for us. Okay, okay. Um, and Chambers, which is their sci-fi one. Storm Furies is like space combat, and Chambers is a sci-fi. Um, Breakers, which is like a Ghostbusters meets D&D, &D, and I've seen that described multiple times that way. Interesting. And World of Dungeons, which is definitely one that I've refer that people have referenced for different things. So it was a lot of systems that it was like, 
I've either directly seen and been like, okay, these are intriguing, very quick mechanic designs, but with a lot wrapped behind them. Um, it was published back in 2016. In 2015, it got gold. It got the Golden Geek, their RPG of the year. In 2016, it got the Indie RPG Game Award um, for best production and best support. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I, I then went to its resources. Like, okay, are we talking Morkborg level insanity? Because we we see it all the time, sure. right? It's got its site. It's got a free SRD, so you can see the mechanics right there. Yep. There's there's nothing hidden. Yep. Um, Forged in the Dark is the uh, the wrapping that you have um, that are themed. So you have like uh, girls by moonlight, which I know was brought up in, in one of our lists. Um, girls scum- by moonlight. It is the magical girls version. <laughs> okay. Then you know, it can be done because we've already talked about the system and what it can handle. No, 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 no. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm, I'm not, I, I'm less flabbergasted about uh, it having a magical girls variation and, uh, more just having a, a a thirsty moment where Girls by Moonlight just sounds really nice. It does. Yeah. Uh, Scum and Villainy, which is the space uh, sci-fi space, mm-hmm. and then uh, Band of Blades, which is the dark military fantasy. Yeah. Which yeah, I could definitely yeah. see. Um, there's free supplements. Uh, just tons of tons of wonderful things, sheets, themes, characters, campaign trackers. Scum and Villainy. There was another one called Hack the Planet, also. Correct. Uh, which is Correct. a cyberpunk one. Yep. Yep. Um, and then. <laughs> John literally has a box for free copies. Yeah. Like, every once in a while, he just throws free copies up there. And if you ask nicely, he might throw another one up there. Like, a guy was just like, hey, I bought back during this point, and I really want to get a copy, um, but I'm in the middle of nowhere. And he's just like, message me. I got you. Yeah, right on. And it was like, that's fantastic. Yeah. Because he wants the community to grow, and I can understand why. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a great product. And I use that with a capital P. Yeah. Like, everything about this feels amazing. This sits at the same level of, like, I looked at this the same way I kind of looked at um, the, uh, uh, what, what did we decide? X without numbers? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. X-W- um, XWN. Yeah, XWN. X without numbers. Uh, it, it feels very much like that mm-hmm. in the way that the the author loves the product the fans love the product, and it builds upon that love. And the, and the creator just wants to get it out there and just wants people to play Heck it. Heck yeah. yeah. Heck yeah. Oh, you want to iterate um, upon it? Cool, here's the SRD. So I think its own words does it the best justice to mm-hmm. describe what it is. And that is, you and your fledgling crew must thrive amidst the threats of rival gangs, powerful noble families, vengeful ghosts, and the blue coats of City Watch, and the siren song of your scoundrel's own vices. Mm-hmm. Like, there you go. Like, that is such a beautiful wrapping to say what this really is trying to put out there and what it feels like. It is a cold, foggy, dark city um, of Duskfall, which is the Duskwall or the Dusk. Um, it's an industrial city, um, kind of 1870s. Uh, it's a mashup of kind of like Venice and London and Prague, all of those dark moments. Like any of the vampire movies where you're feeling like you're in huddled streets and there's industry and there's people in heavy coats walking around gas lamps, you know? Yeah. Uh, we, we talked about uh, FromSoft games earlier. Uh, yeah. Bloodborne was brought up yep. as one of the major influences. Yep. Uh, Dishonored yeah. is definitely the same yeah. thing in there. Um, it's perpetual darkness and haunted by ghosts, mm-hmm. which uh, was caused by a cataclysm that shattered the sun and broke the gates of death a thousand years ago. 
Yeah. So this the city's been around. This mm-hmm. world has been around. Um so you have these vengeful spirits that literally sit just outside the <laughs> lightning gates that protect the city. And and the people within it and even to the point that there are specific there's a a, a a specific mechanic but it's a world mechanic in this that when someone dies in a crematorium a bell chimes loud enough that you can tell that it's chiming there as well as that toll rings out for the dead at their death mm-hmm. so that there's no question like if you shoot somebody on the street even if you use a silencer as soon as they die everyone there knows yeah yeah. And then a raven is dispatched to circle their body tighter and tighter to help the guard, this 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 shadow guard show up to collect the body and make sure it gets incinerated properly so that the ghost doesn't haunt the city. <laughs> so like everything yeah. about that sounds dark and gruesome yeah. and horrific and all of the implications of what it means wrapped around that. Right. I mean, right. you're literally in a haunted Victorian city trapped by lightning powered by demon blood. Yeah. Like... <laughs> yeah. One of the things that, uh, that I, that I really liked, um, is, uh, kind of at the end of describing what the, the core of the setting is, um, at the very beginning of the book, they, they make mention that basically like, what the design philosophy behind all that was. Mm-hmm. And they said, basically, we made the outside world completely inhospitable that you are... So so to basically create a pressure cooker, mm-hmm. you are supposed to be trapped in the city where everyone's a scoundrel. And you can't just, like, leave the city and go hang out in the wilderness for, you know, a couple weeks until your heat dies down. You don't have that option. You'll just no. get eaten by demons. Yeah. You know? Or whatever the hell is uh, else is out there. Yeah, it feels like the reverse of Judge Dread. You're like the judges are mm. not the heroes, right? Right. They're what is keeping the heroes kind of in check on occasion, but only so much as they don't burn the city to the ground. Yeah, you know. Let's not throw um, that H word around. We're protagonists. We're not heroes <laughs> no. in this game. It doesn't describe them as heroes anywhere in the book. No, no. It's not. A, it's not a heroic game. It, it is. It's definitely... very open about how you are a crime syndicate. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And, and it's described as peaky blinders with some weird magical stuff and ghosts. <laughs> so I, I understand from, from my own research that you can essentially I, – I have not seen peaky blinders. Okay. But I feel like I, I am obliged to at this point. Um, from what I understand, you can put on an, any episode of peaky blinders, literally pick one at random, roll a d10, put on that episode, mm-hmm. and you can go – Oh, okay. That's the crew. That was this type of role. This is the score. This mm-hmm. is the, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, et cetera. You can go through all the game mechanics and just be like, oh, I see it all happening. Yeah. Any um, episode of Peaky Blinders. <laughs> yeah. If you've read the books, uh, The Lies of Locke Lamora, you, you know this world very well. Okay. It, it very much feels like that. Um, we talked about Dishonored uh, and Bloodborne. Mm-hmm. Um, Crimson Peak uh, by uh, Guillermo del Toro. Uh, Gangs of New York. Um, Ronin or uh, thief, uh, Heat and Thief um, and games that it that were definite inspirations and you can feel it through every page. Mouse Guard, Apocalypse World, Starts Without Numbers, Fate yeah. all of them are very prominent inspirations in this yeah, absolutely. and just reading that acknowledgement at the beginning of the book helped me immediately start seeing patterns and understanding 
how it all comes together because I've experienced all those games. I know the mechanics that kind of make their hearts beat, and I see it so much in this. I see it so much. I'm glad that that acknowledgement was there. It helped immensely. Um, and I'm going to say this. To our listeners, argue with me. But I will say this. It does heists better than anything we've reviewed. It does Shadowrun better than Shadowrun. Mm -hmm. It handles factions better than most social <clears throat> systems that I've seen. Um, and it's almost GMless. Almost. I can't say that it isn't, but it's almost. Now, you had an interesting take on it. Which was that it was kind of the Switch Axe game system. Oh, yeah. So we started playing Monster Hunter World. I, I, should, I should preface this just by saying this. So this doesn't seem completely random. Anybody who's ever played uh, uh, Monster Hunter games will understand this reference. But for those who don't, the Switch Axe... Uh, Somebody somebody said that like you know that the, the tutorial the beginner's tutorial for the Switch Axe is like a fourteen page uh, mm -hmm. PDF document mm -hmm. you know just to give you the understanding of what the skill ceiling for the Switch Axe is before I say this mm -hmm. but I said this feels like the Switch Axe of games mm -hmm. you know where it's like super involved to learn like you I, I've I've seen like people say you need to read the rules for this like probably three or four times and watch an actual play to really get the the gist of how it's supposed to flow i would say definitely if you if you had none of the precursor games that we discussed or ever played those 100 percent, 100 percent. but once you do once you do finally get this game kicking on all eight cylinders play it the way that it was intended to be played and you know the rules fluid enough that you can just make the game happen the amazing stuff you will be able to do with this game system, you know, mm -hmm. is is just insane. Just absolutely insane, and you will style on every other storyteller out there. Yeah. Yeah. And and I will say that your players will enjoy it at a different level than they've ever enjoyed anything. Mm -hmm. Because of what it... of how it deploys itself. Um, it is just so different, and we're, we have to get into that, without yeah. a doubt. So, first off, this game, much like um, Powered by the Apocalypse games and, and a few others, uses playbooks mm -hmm. to describe the, I'll use the term loosely, classes. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're, they're classes. They're tropes, yeah. really. They're, they're just, they're models of a design. You've got, you know... Cotters, who are good at fights and violence. Um, hounds, which are good at tracking. Leeches, who are good at alchemy and wrecking things. <laughs> Lurkers, who are good at sneaking and breaking into places. Sliders, slide, who are good at situations and subterfuge. Spiders, who are your masterminds of maneuvers. And whisperers, who are your magical people, you know, who handle that kind of stuff and, are, and hit it. And that's, that is your trope set of mm -hmm. who you're going to be. And there's nothing that says... Your entire group can't just be bruisers. And oh, yeah. And there's nothing to say, even in the advancement section, that you can't change your playbook. That you can't just switch from one playbook to another because you realize you are not your character is not that playbook. Yeah, sure. Which is even better. You then step into a, a section regarding heritage about your characters. And the heritage feels almost generic because, and I love that. Like, it's just like, okay, you have your general heritage, you have your Dagger Isles, which are your rootless wanderer people, 
you have uh, Aruv- Irvia? Ir- Probably Aruvia. Aruvia, which is your foreigners, your old East, you know, t- Eastern type of people. You have your uh, Servo, uh, Severos, Severos yeah. which is your wildlands, your survivalists, your your, your harder people. Your, uh, the, Scovian? Yes, who are your marginalized, your refugees, um, often the, the grunt labor type of people. And Tychoros. Yes, the weird mythical people. Uh, and it's it's very tropey. And the, the pages, the package that talks about those are a paragraph each. That's mm-hmm. it. That's your heritage. The whole world wrapped around that, right? Now, there are notes later on in, in the DM section that really goes into more a little bit more detail. But again, nothing heavy. A lot of blank space. Yeah, sure. Which is wonderful. Uh, you assign your background, which gives you a little bit of education. Mm-hmm. And all of that... Allows you to just sign a dots. Anything for your heritage, you choose. Anything for your background, you choose. And two more that fit. So it lets you set the pace. It gives you recommendations. But it literally, like, if you're like, I'm a survivalist, so I'm going to put a dot in something survival related. You know, but my background is law, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm actually going to put my, I'm going to be putting my dot in something more sneaky. Because that's really where I was leaning into was that I was I was not necessarily the best at my work in the right direction. I was a little more sly, you know, you know, and then wherever else the additional ones go, you have a special ability. There's some default choices, but you can still make selections based upon your 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 uh, your play card. You then get to choose a close friend and a rival. Mm -hmm. And those are very important characters. For you, it feels like that mouse guard. Uh, exactly, in, exactly. Yeah. And your vice, you have a vice, and your vice is actually pretty important for gameplay. Oh, very much so. Uh, believe it or not, I mean, it, we mentioned it earlier that you know you you're trying to struggle against all these things and the siren call of your own vices. Yeah. So you know whether it's faith, whether it's gambling, luxury, uh, pleasure, um, stupor was one of them. Especially yeah. just getting you know drunk or high or whatever. Sure. Just not being not being present for a while, yeah. you know, uh, or other weird stuff, you know, arcane indulgences. This is a fantasy setting, you know. Yeah. I mean, and the thing about it is this is important because this world sucks. Yeah. And you have a, stre- a, a stress mechanic that has to be managed. Mm-hmm. And this is a way to manage it. Sure. Not everyone's sitting around meditating. Yeah. And if they are, that's faith, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Now... If you've played any other RPG with, like, Persona or drama kind of mechanics, they're not here. They don't exist here. And the reason for that is because you're playing and discovering that person as you play. You are starting with a very vague sketch, and you're creating your character while you're doing it Mm -hmm. together. Which is different by leagues, people creating pages of character before yeah. they come to the table. In this case, no. You're you're a washed up cop who's part of this crew who has two who has one friend and an enemy and we'll figure the rest out as we go. Yep. Exactly. It it's um you know, lar- largely based on uh, the part by the apocalypse system. Um, yeah. uh, in, in a lot of ways. And one of the big philosophies that it carries with it from Powered by the Apocalypse is play to find out. Yeah. And you're going to be hearing that a lot probably through this discussion here, um, play to find out. And that's, you know, it's right here in character creation. Like, no, 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 no. We don't need to know much more than the roughest <laughs> sketch of what set you on this trajectory. 
Yep. The important stuff is in front of you. Yep. Let's play to find out. Yep. You know. But the very next step is that tie together, which I love, which is the crew. It yeah. already establishes that your group is together. Mm-hmm. That they have each other's backs, that you guys work as a team to complete a goal. You may not live together. You may not hang out. You may not. But regardless, when the job is going on, you're at the same table. You're Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. You know? And for that very reason, you have some faith and trust in each other to get the job done. Because that comes first. Whatever yep. that job is. And that definitely rings of Shadowrun for me. The, the very fabric of creating a team. And yet... <laughs> That system doesn't have a crew mechanic. No, it really doesn't. And, and it, it should. Like, of all games, you'd figure it should. Mm-hmm. Um, not only does this have a crew mechanic, but uh, the crew is essentially its own character. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you have a crew sheet. Yeah. As in, like, a character sheet for, for the, the crew. crew. Yeah. Um, your character sheet, or your crew sheet, has an archetype. It has its own playbook. Like, are you assassins? Are you bravos, which are basically like mercenaries or thugs, mm-hmm. you know? Um, a cult. Yeah. You can legit just be like, yeah, we're dedicated to one of the old gods that have been long forgotten. But, uh, you know, we do stuff for them. Mm-hmm. Um, are you hawkers, which are vice dealers, essentially? You're drug dealers, you're bootleggers, you're mm-hmm. things like that. Um, shadows are thieves and spies. Um, doing, you know, burglaries and robberies, sabotage, that sort of thing. Or smugglers. You know, smuggling contraband into and out of this wall of lightning fueled by demon blood that we Mm -hmm. refer to. Mm -hmm. That's kind of an important thing because nothing's supposed to breach that wall. No. But sometimes things need to. Yeah, most definitely. And in that, because it is its own character, it's like your ship or like your stace. But Mm -hmm. it's more than that. It grows. It advances. It gives you things. Yep. It requires things. Um, so it's, it's, it binds, it's, it's one of those investments that everybody's involved in already. Yep. The players are already dedicated to it. Um, and there's this concept, the, the, the base concepts of any crew, which is reputation. Where's your lair? What is your hunting grounds? Mm-hmm. Does somebody else own that hunting grounds? Like, are you paying someone to be there? Yeah, sure. Are you paying them to just ignore you? Mm-hmm. Or are they angry that you're there? You know. and, and both of those are valid options. Mm-hmm. You know, Very you, much so. You can absolutely just set up shop in somebody else's backyard and then give them the finger when they come barking at your door, you know? Yeah. Um, and if that's how you want to run your crew, absolutely. Like, that creates great drama. Right off the bat. Um, and it's it's vi- very much an option. Um during your crew setup, there's a number of uh, different things you need to determine. Not only you know where your where your lair and your hunting grounds and stuff that is, um, your crew will have its own special ability again, mm-hmm. just just like your characters do. What you're good at, yeah. Um, but then you start kind of making your initial contacts because of where your crew sits mm-hmm. in proximity to everybody else. There's no empty space in the city, and it's very explicit about that. Yeah. Okay. If your crew exists, they exist. In relation to somebody else's territory, whether it's your own or someone else's. There's no vacuum, yeah. There is, if you were going to take more territory, it's somebody else's territory. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that's just up for grabs. Yep. Um, And so part of your setting up your crew initially is to essentially get your initial contacts. um, And that is to have uh, one 
essentially an uh, an opponent and mm-hmm. a uh, and an ally. Mm-hmm. And uh, you'll have some uh, what they call coin. Coin is just kind of your general like um, generic unit of money, so that you're not keeping track of like single gold pieces. Yeah. It's your wealth. It's 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 a resource counter. Yeah, it's like what let's say about a, about a week's wages is one coin. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, you can, you can even just in your initial, your initial setup of your crew, spend some of your starting coin to, I don't know, pay off your rival and make them not hate you as much or pay off your ally and make them like you more or pay off the people who are in your area. So they don't ruin your jobs. They look the other way. Mm -hmm. And that's just, and that's just character creation for your crew. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the and other, then the other you, big thing I, I liked about the crew thing was that each one comes with kind of a territory map. Mm-hmm. It's an it's kind of an abstract flow chart. Like it's not designed to be an actual like physical map of Correct. an area, right? Yep. Like with northeast, southwest on it. But there's kind of a flow to like different nodes, and there's like twelve different twelve or fifteen. I want to say fifteen actually. Fifteen. Fifteen different nodes in a three by five grid. Yep. That are all labeled, and your your crew kind of your your hideout sits right in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um. And some of them are connected with lines and some of them aren't. And uh, they said you don't have to follow the lines, but if you don't, it's a little it's a little extra work. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's a little extra penalty that kind of gets gets on there. But like to expand your crew's influence mm-hmm. and territory and stuff like that, which then grows what your crew can do. Mm-hmm. It's essentially how you level your crew up and get and make yourself more powerful within the city is by taking extra territory and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and so those are built in, not only built in scores, um, heist scores, jobs, you know, yeah. to, to take these territories. But also, like I said, nothing is vacant. Mm-mm. So every single one of those boxes you want to move into to expand your own crew's influence in the city mm-hmm. is somebody else's toes you've got to step on. And it, go ahead. But those people will have enemies. Yes. And so if I step on crew A's toes, we're going to make an enemy of them. Mm-hmm. But somebody hates crew A. Yep. And so crew B is going to start to like us more because we screwed them over. And their allies are going to hate us. Right. Yep. Uh, and so just simply by saying we want to take a job to move here, already we have started to send ripples out into yep. what we will describe later as the faction system. Yeah. And Which is a whole game within itself. It's so beautiful how this game treats crews, treats the faction system, and just generates its own story. Yep. Every time you wiggle a little bit in this city. Yep. 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 It it is it is neat. Um, mm-hmm. We are going to grace the mechanics, the base mechanics of this game, just to get through it because there is a lot of detail, and I don't. We don't want to muddle ourselves behind it because there's too much here to really discuss. Yeah, I, I think I think if we sat here and discussed the mechanics, we would almost be doing the system a disservice. Because I agree. what what the system does mechanically is not what makes it unique. No. Um, at least on the surface. What it does under the hood is what makes it Yeah. Unique. So the base system mechanic, the the very coarse lowest grade, it's a D six system. You have Six is uh, is a full success. If you get two sixes, you have critical success. 
a four or a five on your highest die is a partial success. Well, you should say it's a dice pool system. It's a pool system. Okay, yes. so if you have like three in a skill, yep. you'll pick up three d6. Yes. Roll those, and then you take the, the result of the highest die of what you rolled. Yes, unless you get two sixes. Unless two of them are sixes, then yep. that's a crit success. Um, if the highest is a four or five, it's a partial success. If it's a one to three, it is a bad outcome. Um, if you don't have any dice in your pool, you always grab two dice and select the lower of the two. Mm-hmm. Um, so you still have a chance. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you could still have you a could critical success. Both, you could roll both sixes. Yeah, so it's always a trait, and you take dice equal to its rating. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that this game wants to make sure you remember is that fiction is first. First, you choose what your character does in the fiction, and then the group picks the mechanic that suits the situation to resolve what happens. Exactly. This is not a situation where you're going to say, it says on my character sheet I can do this. Right. I'm going to use this mechanic. Okay, well, what does that look like? It's the other way around. Yes. Just tell a story. Yeah. Don't pick the mechanic and then try and color in the fiction. Yes. It will not work. Yes. It does not work for the system, which is literally the first confusion you will have from like D&D and stuff. Mm -hmm. Is that, what are you doing? I'm attacking. I'm using the attack action. Yeah. After moving my six inches of movement. Yeah. As my move action on this turn, and then as a bonus action. Right. Yeah, no, it's no, not. No, don't do that. Don't nope. do that. Your actions are are very much direct. Now, it's not I fire a gun. It's not I use my 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 stealth skill. This is command, consort, finesse, hunt, prowl, skirmish, study, survey, sway, tinker, or wreck wreck and what's interesting about these is these cross over so even though your command is just to compel swift obedience it doesn't mean you're not going to use a different trait Mm -hmm. to do a command action they are meant to bleed because you can we do this in DD all the time is that a athletics check or is that just a raw strength check Right. Well, right. let's go look at the rules. No, stop right there. You've done something wrong. You just tore a log in half in front of him. I'll let you use strength plus intimidate instead right. of charisma plus intimidate. Right. You know exactly. Or exactly. And that's you know your bonus from strength, not from yeah. charisma. Yeah. Whereas this game is just basically saying, yeah, go go ahead and roll your strength instead for the command. You literally lifted him off the ground three feet. Or in the case of Darth Vader, use your Arcana. I think that's even a better choice. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> you're literally doing that. And and that's that's the key. The flow of action uh, really is about setting the goal. What do you want to do? What is the fiction you're going to prove? Then what is the action rating? What are you doing? What what's what are we what are we stepping into? The GM then mm-hmm. sets the position. Are you in a position of authority control kind control, of a situation yep. are you not in a position of authority or are you totally outnumbered yep like is it overwhelming around are you? are you on your back foot yeah. yeah what's the effect level is it going to be very effective or is it not going to be at all or is it going to be moderately effective mm-hmm. you know and then are there any bonus dice do you got some abilities do you got friends helping you out did you set this situation in motion and therefore got a little bit of a bonus from that and then you roll and the dice get judged. Yep. 
positions can be it, it are really what make the scene. Whether you're under control, it's risky, or you're doing something desperate. What's neat is after all of that happens, but before the dice rolls, you can adjust it. And that's the beauty. Mm-hmm. You could get to the point where you're like, okay, what's your goal? <sighs> I really want to make this guy. I, I really want to intimidate the hell out of this guy. Like, I want to make him feel scared to pick up that gun. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's let's set the action then on that. All right. Uh, there is a gun in the room. So I'm going to say it's risky what you're doing here because he could just snatch that up. He's closer to it. It's not something that's going to be okay. Okay. Um, here's the difference is that uh, I am also a trick. Uh, I also have a trick up my sleeve about the uh, the space. What do you mean? Uh, I've got my hand under the table uh, holding the tablecloth. Oh, so you're going to pull the tablecloth toward you when he goes to reach for the gun. Yeah, so his hand will just slap the table instead. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, I see what you're going to do there. Mm-hmm. All right, all right. You know, is there anybody else helping you? Uh, yeah, he's going to ask her to count. So she's going to be like a distraction for him as well. The old Raylan Givens. Exactly. But all of that fits. At the very end, you could be like, ooh, I don't like my dice pool. Or I don't like the outcome. The outcome's not going to be good enough. All right. I want to shift this to a desperate outcome. Ooh, what's your intention? I'm not just going to intimidate it. I'm going to lay him out. I'm going to get my hands on that gun and lay him out. It is definitely desperate. Let's reset this a little bit then. Mm -hmm. Because you're talking about the fiction before it happens. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. And all of that is happening in the silent seconds as things are building up. It's very thematic and seen. Mm -hmm. You don't get those kind of feelings out of anything else, really. Because you're already in action by the time you're like, oh, crap. This isn't going to go in that direction. Yeah, yeah. Shit, shit, shit. Right? And and that's the thing is is that that's where it kind of ties back to a little bit of mouse guard, that failing forward, but at the same time gives you the option to make it cinematic and to bury yourself into it. Yep. And yep. I love that. I love that about it. Um, the best part that sits within that thing is that you can make a devil's bargain. Mm-hmm. You can still make something happen, but it's going to cost. Like you can buy the buy a success basically. Yep, and you're gonna suffer for it, but at the same time, something's gonna happen. What you wanted to have as an outcome is gonna happen, but there may be some collateral that goes along with that, Ooh, or you yeah. might get hurt in the process, oh, or somebody else might get hurt. Exactly. In the process. Yep. Like there's a lot exactly. that can go into that, um, and all of that is is just the base mechanics. It's, and there's so many details in that. There's mm-hmm. so many mechanical details that they throw in that feel natural as you read through them. But I can't even get into it because it'd take us another 25 minutes. It would. It would, really. The one thing that I will add on to the end of that is mm-hmm. that when an event occurs to you, you can resist. And yeah. resistance is is dependent on a trait like insight, prowess, or resolve based on whether you're doing deception or physical or mental strain. It is always a six that you're then pulling back from. So uh, it's, it's what six six plus, stress uh, plus uh, uh, additions, but effectively you're trying to pull it down with your dice. You're trying to get that number down because it's minus the highest dice roll result. Um, but you can actually clear stress off your chart if you get two. So meaning you take none, and then you also can pull stress off your own character for your actions. Right, 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 right. right. Um, what this does is this sets the tone of the game. This is where the storyteller and the table can basically decide whether or not 
resisting something just reduces the overall effects or actually avoids them. And that right there, in black and white, tells you how you can set the tone of your game. Just like you do in Savage Worlds, where you can say, this game is going to be Heroes Never Die. I'm going to let you, you guys will go to zero. If you all, you know, quote unquote, wipe, no one's dying. You are knocked out. Something's going to happen. You're out of the scene, whatever, right? The same thing in this game. You guys want to be able to resist things? Sure. You can resist to avoid. But you can also just set it to resist to reduce the consequences. I mean, there's always going to be a consequence, but you're reducing what they're going to be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that takes it from ultra gritty to just gritty you know, kind of a situation. And I love that it's that tune and that tone is set right in black and white in the game and explains it vividly. And yeah. it, it's yeah. it's so clearly put. It's wonderful. Uh, now, we, we mentioned stress. Yes. Uh, a lot. Huge here. component. Uh, it's a, basically, it's stress stress is going to be essentially your, your quote-unquote damage track. Okay. Yeah. For, for lack of a better term, it actually functions a lot like it does in Fate. Mm-hmm. Um, in, the in, death in a, spiral in a kind lot of, thing, yeah. of ways it does. Yeah. Um, because uh, when you you when you take as many stress as you possibly can, um, when your stress track fills up, you then erase it all and you take trauma instead. And trauma is permanent. And trauma is permanent. Yeah. Um, and so you start when uh, like there's there's kind of like lesser traumas, mm-hmm. and then there's medium traumas, and then there's like major traumas, and it's what three or four. When you when you've taken when you take a four, level four trauma, and you're done. You're but done. if you take three and you go to fill in your third and you cannot, effectively you're making a fourth. You're done. Yeah. Yeah, um, and at that point, your character just cannot handle life anymore Mm-mm. and retires. Yep. Um, and uh, I really like the mechanic of that um, because, again, it keeps things narrative first mm-hmm. off. Um, so, you know, your trauma might be something like sucking chest wound, mm-hmm. you know, but uh, again, that's that's narrative. Like, nothing is saying, like, okay, you're minus two to this or minus three to that. Like, it, it it's 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 all kept within the fiction um, yeah. from that standpoint um but until then uh the thing that i really like about stress though is then how that interacts with your vices mhm uh because stress until it starts becoming trauma is not a permanent thing no nope. it's just it's your bumps and bruises it's your emotional stress it's your you know you just you just can't handle it you saw some things and you need to deal with it and so you dive into your um into your 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 vices to get rid of this. So what you're going to do basically is you're going to during your downtime make a roll um based on your vice and it's going to uh reduce your stress by a number uh given the success of that roll. Mhm. The thing is, is that you it is possible to overindulge in your vices. Mm-hmm. If you subtract more stress then you have, mm-hmm. i.e., you would would put yourself into negative stress. Um, you overindulge, yeah, and uh, can have a lot of negative side effects up to and including like your character literally goes on a bender and just disappears for a length of time. And it's like roll up a new character and play them for a game, mm-hmm. and then you can come back with your original character after they wash up out of the bar or out of the brothel or you know, come back from whatever it was going, 
oh shoot, is it Wednesday yet? Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I blink, I blinked, and it was Tuesday. I'm sorry, guys. You yep. know. Yep. Exactly. And and it's that that the game explicitly talks to you about that. Those kinds of mechanics, I wish, were core parts of D and D. Could mm-hmm. you imagine if there was a narrative catch that after four times of going to to zero hit points, you've just taken too much trauma? Yeah, your body, your body, or your mind, or your soul just can't handle it, and it it it's time to go, yeah. right? Like. That would radically change how you played D anD D and how quickly you were willing to go to zero. I mean, it, it would it would change uh, the 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 thing you got to keep in mind too. I mean, yeah, it would radically change how you play D anD D, but at that point, like, it would kind of cease to be D anD D. Like, D anD D is about you know heroic power fantasy, and this is not a game about heroic power fantasy. You know, it isn't. It isn't. But the games that feel like they're they're tense within D anD D are not. Yeah, but this would add tension. Mm-hmm. But again. Why why play D and D at that point? Um, I wanted to go on about the world and how how there are sixty pages of world stuff stuffed at the end of this book in in such a beautiful way. It goes through uh, what is it forty factions, forty eight different factions, four per page, four yeah. per page. Um, I think half of those are gangs and half of those are like legitimate like. Uh, governmental institutions and stuff yeah. like that, yeah. And they're detailed. They have mm-hmm. everything you need, but lots of blank space. And I, I love every one of them. Yeah. They're all well thought out. Great. They're there for your use. Enjoy them. Just fleshed out enough to give them an identity and a trajectory. Mm-hmm. And not enough to tell you who's who, what they're why? up to, why. What's the direction? That's up to you. Play to find out. That's right. Play That's to right. find out. Yep. Um, but everything is there that you need, and there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing to say that you couldn't be a crew working within one of those factions, kind of becoming independent. Yeah, sure. Your splinter group. Yeah. Yeah. Without a question. We used to be red sashes, but, yep. uh, you know, we didn't like the management, so. Yep. exactly. Now and we're, you... now we're blue sashes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that is definitely given there for people who need to step into the creativity of like, I, I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing here. Great, let's take one of the existing factions. Then we're just gonna rub off all of the stuff that's here, except for the fact that here's your, here's your contact, here's your rival, here's everything about you guys. This mm-hmm. is what you do. Um, I think the other thing was uh, component wise that I want to bring out is that one of the keys that this game did exceptionally well within the world building was set up that mechanic that. You're not going to go on a murder spree. You can't just go around killing every gang member yeah, and, yeah. and a, just being a group of assassins who do that because of the Death Wardens. That mechanic of how they come looking for the dead and how the dead are told make it very challenging. Because although they're not going to get in the way because there's so much going on already, but if you're basically making a giant kill count, they will notice yeah they will come to you because they don't want a giant kill count they don't want a giant kill count because they don't want a giant group of ghosts they're all angry at being murdered yeah who can't go into the beyond which is not even addressed really the 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 gates the gates of the land of the dead have been shattered a thousand years ago the last thing these dudes want is more ghosts running around yeah exactly um and and strangely enough 
that is where I'm going to stop talking about world building. Mm -hmm. It is, I wrote terrifyingly little because there is so much in gameplay that feels so amazing about this. The way that they step through everything, the score, effectively the job, right? Has some of the finest mechanics that I've ever experienced when it comes to planning. Being able to remove completely all of the frustrations that come from sitting at a table playing any other role-playing game and waiting an hour and a half while your players argue about what's the best way to handle this. This is what electrified me about this game. When I when I when I realized what this game was doing mm-hmm. with its with how its gameplay flow worked and the entire thing is set to utterly circumvent the hour and a half planning session. And this is coming off this is coming off of my game last weekend. Mhm. Where the group decided they were going to pull a job yep. to smuggle someone across the city when they were being hunted by a rival faction. Yep. And we had an hour-long planning session that I, as the storyteller, needed to step into the middle of and go, you guys had an effective plan 15 minutes ago. You're you're bickering about details that I don't need. I don't know if you noticed it. Mm-hmm. I stayed very quiet deliberately hard quiet. I said my piece and I stepped back. Yep, yep, yep. And I was just like, I'm just going to let... And the moment that there were questions hitting the table about how things are going, I just was like... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just waited. Because someone else need... I knew that what my explanation was not enough and someone else was going to have to do it. Yeah. And that is the key problem, is that not everyone at the table is hearing the same thing or seeing the same thing. Well, yeah, everybody's bringing their own experiences to the to, to, to the table during a planning scene. And, and you've got uh, – all of it is essentially done blind because you don't know what the storyteller is or is not going to account for. You don't know what curveballs they might have up their sleeve, etc. And so you don't want to be that one that doesn't – you know, you think, oh, the plan is good enough. And you mm-hmm. don't say that you're covering your asses in one way or another. And then the storyteller says, well, you guys never said you did X. So now this is happening. Quantum ogres don't exist in this design. Right. And I love that. Mm-hmm. You don't need them because this turns it all on its head. The first thing it asks you is, how are you doing this job? What is the open execution point of this? And it's just, we're making an assault. We're doing a deception, it's a stealth, we're using a cult, we're doing something social, or it's a transport. That's the that's it. What is the base thing? Yep. And Our, the only detail you need to come up with is one thing for each of those. One thing for this is, you're doing an assault, cool. What's the point of attack? Right. Oh, you're doing a deception? What is the method of deception? Or in our case, even for your game... We did a transport. You did a transport. What's the route and means? What's the we route We had means? that. Yep. We figured that part out, and you're like, great, we're ready to go. But what about, but, but, no, no, we're ready we're to go. We're ready to go. Okay. All the rest of that is details we will figure out as we play. We're going to play to find out. Right. You then do loadouts in case there's anything from the crew that needs got or people have specific loadouts they're going to need. All right. But here's the thing about loadouts. You're right. And this is oh, this is just even more brilliance out of this mm-hmm. game system. Yep, okay? yep, yep. You don't choose items. Mm-mm. You choose a load. Yes. As in, what encumbrance do you want to be at? Yes. Do you want to be light, which means you can be mistaken for a civilian just going about because you're not 
carting around a bunch mm-hmm. of criminal gear. Do you want to be just, you know, kind of average where, yeah, if a blue coat looked at you, they'd know that you were a criminal, but you're not penalized by being weighed down by any of your stuff. Or do you want to be encumbered? Are you the one lugging the minigun? Yeah. Are you the assault squad? Right. 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 You know, um, and that's it. Mm-hmm. You don't choose your gear until it becomes relevant in a scene. And the moment I say, all right, I'm drawing my pistol and shooting this dude. I'm I'm sick of his. I've had enough yep. of his lip. Okay, you draw a pistol. I now have a pistol. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. That's one part of my load. Yep. Okay, I'm going to consult my map and okay, map. That's another part of your load. Yep. You know. Yep. Etc. Right. As it becomes necessary. Now the whole reason for this mm-hmm. is because we've. And, and we'll we'll talk a little bit more about this when we talk about flashbacks, which I think we're coming up on very 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 quickly, quickly very, very quickly. quickly here. Okay, actually, let's talk about flashbacks first, and then I, I, think, I will let's, I will let's finish. I will this. put the bow on the whole thing. I'm, I'm just gonna I'm gonna yeah, yeah. I'm gonna step through these yep. a little bit. Yep. The engagement I'm just very excited. Role, I know. I, I know. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. The engagement role is our next step within yeah. the phase, yeah. and the engagement role just establishes the um. Let me see. It establishes the position mm-hmm. of where you sit. So it's how, when you step into the situation, what is your position? Are you in a good position? Are you in a bad, risky position? Are you in a shitty position? What what went wrong potentially right. when you made your first move and the action started? And all of that includes advantages and disadvantages from both being bold or vulnerable or having friendly or enemy contacts other elements all of that adds into the pool that you roll to make this occur Mm -hmm. then you're stepping into that score how it's going to actually go Mm -hmm. and this is where flashbacks can come in and that is because as you are making this you can just be like so we kick in the door we make our roll crap we're in a shitty position and it's it's literally the like there's 30 guys inside the warehouse with their guns drawn okay so here's what you know here's the thing that 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 actually this means what is that i uh, last night i set a charge on the electrical system yep so that after we kick in the door and we knew where everybody was we hit the lights and in their confusion, we'll have the upper hand. I'm the group's leech, and yep. I planted some plastique. Yep. So now you do a flashback to see how good you were at that. Mm-hmm. And that's that moment where the guy's like, yeah, click. And nothing happens. Click, click. Dude, this is really bad. You're making us look terrible. Yeah. Yep. Freaking thing work. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's it's things like that. Even during that, you could just be like, oh, crap. <sighs> Devil's bargain. It's going off. Okay? What's the problem? It went off a minute. It went off one bullet too late. Uh. I take a round before it goes off. I, uh, I, I, I screwed up one of the calc. I, I, I carried the zero yeah. in an incorrect place when I was doing the calculations of how yeah. much C4 I should be using here. <laughs> exactly. Collateral damage. Mm-hmm. Not only did I blow up the, the, uh, the, the power, uh, box, but I also blew through the wall 
and it's going to fill the whole space and make it impossible for us to see. The blue coats can see the smoke for miles. <laughs> exactly. Yes, exactly. You know, but that's the thing is, is that your flashback then gives you that. And mm-hmm. I, that right there takes the takes the player tension away yeah and adds a level of excitement Mm -hmm. you can't undo something like for instance someone being there you can't be like well we killed him last night you can't do that he's there but the thing is is you can set in motion maybe why they're there maybe you set them on the path to being there at that time Right. For a beneficial reason right. rather than a confrontational reason. Correct. Yeah. And it and it could definitely give you a bonus in mm-hmm. that sense. Like, yeah, that guy's in the room. Why? Because his dealer's there too. What? Okay. So last night I told Jimmy, you know, two two nails, who's a friend of mine, to see if he could, you know, that that this guy was uh, was dealing extra stuff, and that if he didn't get down there tonight. He was going to be, you know, low. And so that's why he's there. He's he's checking over all the goods. Yep. Yep. So they're both there. And it's like, okay, make the roll. Social contact roll happens. That's why he's there. He's not there for you. He's there because of this. So he's caught off guard now. So that's 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 all how flashbacks work. And that's and they're in the score phase and they're easy to do. Like, yeah. they, they might cost you a couple stress if they're, like, really outlandish. Mm-hmm. But essentially, a flashback is free if it's reasonable. Yeah. um, Reasonable and relatively low-key. Yeah. Like, uh, so you're just kind of encouraged to do them. Like, other game systems, like, um, we discussed uh, Savage Worlds will do mm-hmm. this. If you, can, you can do this in a minor way if you toss in a Benny. Mm-hmm. Um, Adventure Tales of the Aeon Society Did allows you to time, do yeah. this with... Uh, 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 with your um, inspiration points, mm-hmm. but that's like a meta currency you have to spend on everything, you know. Yeah, and, and I, this doesn't really require a meta currency. It's just a game mechanic you can use. And I I can't remember if the play cards actually have some of the quote unquote free flashback stuff. Like this doesn't cost you anything in a flashback. Oh yeah, because I don't it's just know. something you can do. Oh. Um, but anyways, it 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 very much makes sense and is very well detailed on how it how that is described of what's really kind of free and what is definitely not yeah yeah um the, so the, you... the bow i wanted to put on top of this though yeah okay is that all of these all of these mechanics kind of come together to create one uh key sort of aspect of the gameplay mm-hmm. okay now we have talked on the show a lot about um especially like with regards to social encounters mm-hmm. you know where um if you've got like a martial, you know, uh, like a, a fighter in your group, you mm-hmm. know, in D anD D, you don't expect that fighter to actually physically be strong in real life, or to know anything about sword play. Yeah, that right? player is not in that. No, right? They have an eighteen strength score, strength score, and they chose the fighter class for a reason because mm-hmm. that that's what represents that sort of prowess. So you shouldn't go ahead and and expect your social characters to have that same sort of real life prowess. You know, and actually role play through their stuff and actually tell effective lies mm-hmm. if they're representing a silver tongued devil at your uh, mm-hmm. at your table. They have a high persuasion skill for that. They have a high charisma skill for that. Yeah, it's their thing. It's their thing. Their expertise. Let them roll the dice, see what the dice say about it, and then fill in the fiction however you need to after that. Because they, their character knows how to do it regardless of what the player does. Yeah. Now. What the flashbacks do for you, 
what the jumping right in with the uh with the engagement role mm-hmm. does for you and foregoing all that planning the effect that creates is the exact same thing mm-hmm. your characters are trained practiced criminals yes they are good at this yeah you are not no you're 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 a forty something data entry specialist. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> it's true. Like you you don't know you don't know crap about pulling a heist, but your character, on the other hand, lives in the shadows. They were molded by it, <laughs> and you merely adopted it when you bought the book. <laughs> exactly, you merely adopted the dog. <laughs> um, and and like the flashback allows you to be like, no, my character would have planned for this. Mm-hmm. You know of. Of course these thugs aren't going to be just able to point guns at us and and get the drop on us like this. I'm better than that. And this is the point where the thugs that I hired burst through the back door. Yeah. Okay. Make a command roll to see if you can get these thugs under your command. Boom. There it is. Mm -hmm. Great success. I rolled a six. Awesome. Your band of thugs barges in through the back door and says... I don't think so. I need all of you to drop your guns right now. And suddenly it's a Mexican standoff and they realize they're in a bad po- they're in a bad position. I want to say in Breaking Bad there was a scene where I want to say it was Breaking Bad. I don't remember, but there's this guy who's overlooking like his drug operation mm-hmm. and it's all these tents and everything and things are working great and like the mob families all come together and they're they're going to do like the the drug transfer and then in rolls basically the rival gang and guns everyone down and the guy's just watching this like oh no oh no i i set up all of this and then his phone rings and it's his boss basically calling like how's it going and he's like i i, I can't talk I'll right call, now i'll call you back <laughs> yeah but it's but basically all it took was like one person basically going yeah we're not showing up we're mm-hmm. not do we don't have to do this heist. All I have to do is tell one other group who hates their guts and knows what they're about to do like, "Hey, this other rival family is going to be itching in our territory." Yeah, right. Whatever. Don't believe me? Take your boys down to the docks. They're meeting with the Corlones tonight. Yep. They're actually going to be transferring your the new drugs with your labels on it into your turf, but selling it themselves. We'll be there. Okay. And okay. then you just stand off to the side and watch the fireworks go off. Yep. <laughs> and that's the thing is, is that this game allows for that mm-hmm. in such a clean way. It not only allows for it, asks for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They want you to play like this. Yeah. If they didn't, if it were like they will, yeah, you can do it, but at a cost. No. It would cost meta currency. Yeah. No, no. They're like, no, it's practically free. Mm-hmm. In fact, you can do some really outlandish stuff for two stress yeah which is practically nothing pennies yeah Yeah. pennies um we've talked about downtime a little bit and and how that uh that's your recoup basically Mm -hmm. as soon as you're done you immediately go to downtime like like (laughs) strangely enough like mouse guard immediately goes to the player's turn you immediately go to downtime yep Yep. and this is where you're getting your your payoff your heat your entanglements all of the fallout from the score good and bad um you can do flashbacks here as well, at a cost of a coin or a rep, mm-hmm. to to be able to handle things from the fallout, whether the job like was successful but with a lot of heat or other problems that were tied to it, you can do things to to mitigate that as well. So flashbacks don't just end, like 
you can you can work through it. Like, hey, uh, we had a lot of heat at the end of this. All right, how do you, how, I'm going to work off some of that heat with a flashback. What do you mean? On our way out, uh, one of the bags, I literally just heave off the building right into the cop's uh, cart. So it lands at their feet. And those cops just don't go through that door mm-hmm. into the building. They go across the street instead. And the bag may or may not have stayed there, you know. <laughs> okay, okay, that's easy. So you're, you're taking a little bit of resource hit, but you're going to do it. All right, that's fine. You um, know, One of the things that I love, too, is uh, uh, that you've... So heat's, heat's a mechanic, and it works a lot like it does kind of in Grand Theft Auto, where you've got... Um, uh, basically a wanted rating yeah um the amount of uh the amount of interest the blue coats have taken in uh, mm-hmm. uh in your your crew and um one of the things you can do to get rid of heat uh is essentially have one of your characters turn themselves in mm-hmm. and go to jail for a time yeah uh and that will bleed off i i think all of your heat actually i i believe it does i think it bleeds off all your heat um, one of the other interesting things, though, that kind of goes along with that is that uh, jail is a valid play space. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, like if your whole crew goes to jail or even if some of them goes there, like um, we talked about those like influence maps. Mm-hmm. Jail has its own influence map. Yeah. And depending on what influence you have in jail, you can do things like paying off guards, getting information from other prisoners and mm-hmm. like. Using that, uh, the spider class, the spider playbook, um, actually has one, uh, has a special ability called Jailbird that they can get, Mm -hmm. which actually makes them, like, more effective when they're incarcerated. Um, and you, you get, uh, I I forget exactly what the bonus is, but basically, like, yeah, if you're in, if you're in jail, you get X, Y, or Z bonus, you know, Mm -hmm. just, because, yeah, sure, of course you're in jail, you know? The the information's tighter. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. It's It's a controlled situation there. Yeah. Um, the game does have uh, a concept for progress clocks, kind of like doom clocks, and it recommends you use them on a regular basis. Yeah, for pretty much everything. Yeah. Like, in all it, it's very simple design. It's like, here's a circle. Put as many spokes in as you need to make sections of your time clock so that you can keep track of events. Is it a complex time clock? Maybe it has, you know, it has uh, four pies or six pies, you know, eight pies within it, right? Or is it a simple one where there's literally, like, two events? This happens, and then this happens. And you basically fill those in as time ticks by. Because you use that clock because people may spend time. Mm-hmm. They may use the uh, use the thing of saying, like, okay, I am going to spend one of the ticks on the clock. And, and accept some stress to let this happen. Mm-hmm. Okay time to you know this event ticks by and again it's a it is not a direct correlation to time it is an event tick just like doom clocks are yeah so it recommends you do this so the players can use that as a currency and also feel it and it should be obvious to them that events are ticking by Mm -hmm. so that the story continues this is again that that meta line where we talk about it being very gray when it's at the table and this it is exceptionally gray it is very obvious what's going on to everyone at the table in the obvious sense. Mm-hmm. You know, in a scene, you may not know that this is what's happening with this other family on this other side, but very soon after, everyone knows that. It becomes public knowledge kind of a thing. Um, 
The one other thing that it brings up is PC versus PC. This is not a player versus player system. They they conflicts will always happen, but the idea is that you will immediately collaborate, make judgment calls and move on. The idea being that it isn't saying that you can't have disagree, you know, disagreements between characters. But in the end they are a crew who are trying to get a common job done. And they will figure that out and move on. And the moment a disagreement comes up, it literally tells you, pause the damn game. Mm-hmm. Figure out what layer you're dealing with. Is this characters? Are these players? Work through it. You both agree to it. You move on. Yeah. That simple. Yeah. Don't make this, don't don't have this drag on mm-hmm. forever. The point is, is that you, the, this game is about risks and consequences. It's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So... Don't dwell on, are we doing this perfectly? You're not. The chances are, you're going to have a consequence. The chances are, those consequences are probably going to be bad most of the time. But that's what makes up the game. That's what gives you this theme of that everything is going to have a cost associated with it. And that's why you have all these resources. Stress. Coin. Contacts. These are all there to mitigate some of those consequences. But in the end, you're going to have to make hard decisions. And that's where the game becomes. That's where it it sits. It's within those hard decisions. Mm -hmm. Not crafty things created by the storyteller, but players making dice, deciding things, bargaining, figuring out at the last minute, and then going, crap, this isn't going to work. How are we going to do this? And gritting their teeth and making some kind of a decision. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That That's the meat and potatoes that are given to you. And it's amazing. It is truly amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There is some advancement. Mm-hmm. It's it's honestly not much to talk about. Yeah, it's it's a lot like other Power by the Apocalypse uh, it's, things. It's, you... I will flat out say it's what you would expect from this game. It's very, very flat. Easily done. And I almost say it sits closer to Mouse Guard than it does Power by the Apocalypse. Because it says, did you lean into your vices? Did you lean into your heritage? Did you do these things? There's your XP. Go spend it. Yep. Have a nice day. And very much like in Powered by the Apocalypse, it's more like uh, fill in some boxes and or dots on your character sheet. Yeah. And then, oh, did you advance? Mm -hmm. Go grab something nice from the stash. Mm -hmm. Like literally. (laughs) Have, have a new special ability. Enjoy yourself. Yep. You know? Don't spend it all in one place. Then there is the storyteller section. Not the DM section. The storyteller section that literally has the term best practices in it. Player best practices in it. I was weeping. This is another game that needs to have this shit stitched in needlepoint on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> if this just was the first thing on the front of of r slash rpg are you a player look at this mm-hmm. don't ask any questions just look at this and this will tell you how to play this game stop thinking stop overthinking just embrace the scoundrel's life go into danger and fall in love with trouble don't be a weasel choose an action that matches your character not your dice pool dear god take responsibility use your stress 
Don't talk yourself out of fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Build your character through play. Act now, plan later. Flashbacks are a thing. Yeah. That's it. That's it. At dawn, we plan. That's right. Then there is the DM side of this. What is the DM's goals of this game? And this is beautiful. Like, any game that can hand you a, a set and basically say, this is your goal. This is it. It's this simple. Mm-hmm. Play it to find out what happens. Convey a fictional word honestly and bring the world to life. Ask questions. Ask establishing questions. Ask provocative questions. Ask leading questions. Ask trivial questions, because we do that all the time for the fun of it. Yeah. Ask the players for help. Mm-hmm. Be there. Provide opportunities and follow their lead. Where do those go? We say this all the time. Your players will lead you to the quests. Yeah. And your, life. Your players will tell you how they want to have fun. They will give you the target, the locations, the situations, what they're planning on doing. Stop planning for them. Yeah. Telegraph the action before it hits. This is neat. The idea that you're not telling them that the enemy pulled the gun, it pulled out a gun and shot them. You're saying, as you enter the room, your eyes meet, and you real, you, he's starting, his hand is in those seconds slowing down, sweeping his coat open to reveal the revolver at his hip. His hand is gripping it, and the hammer is cocking back. Okay, that's where we are. Yep. We are in a very dangerous situation. Yes. Okay. Yes. That, you are telegraphing what is going to happen next. You know the next thing is that gun being pulled. You won't, as a storyteller, change that optic. Because he doesn't get a counter roll. At no point in our mechanical discussions did we talk about the the NPCs rolling against this. Yeah, they don't. It's, you just resolved the scene with the roll. NPCs never touch dice in this game system. Nope. It's always the players. Mm-hmm. If someone's getting shot, it's not because the NPC is rolling to hit. It's the, and it's the PC rolling to, you know, see how that happens. Yeah. On their side, whether it's a dodge or it's whether they're going to try to soak it or, you know, whatever whatever game mechanic comes up for that. Yep. But the basic principles of the storyteller are even in here. Be a fan of your PCs. Let everything flow from that fiction. Paint the world with haunted brush. Surround them with unusual sprawl, or industrial sprawl. Address the characters. Address the players differently. Consider all the risks, and hold on to your game lightly. And I think that last one is really how... If you you can grab that properly, if you can look at the game and hold on lightly, I think you can understand where this game is going and that you f- can feel that it's GM-less. Mm-hmm. That you're riding the coattails of the story and get, just pouring flavor out. For me, like the, the GM in this situation is mostly there as essentially a referee and a provocateur mm-hmm. rather than as a storyteller. Like, yeah, I, I, yeah sure, you're still going to be narrating everything, you know, to to bring the story and the, the, the world to life for your players. Mm-hmm. But... That traditional sense of, like, I'm going to write an epic plot with epic NPCs, etc., etc., it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it fits nearly as much here. Because if I feel like all the writing of the quote-unquote epic plot is being done by the players, by their actions, by their motivations. And that's the difference in this. That's where they talk about potential fiction versus established fiction. You're not establishing the fiction here. 
There's no hard moves. There is just what is potential. Right? Mm Mm-hmm. And in that, the scene creates an establishment that you follow through. A goal that must be achieved on the other side. Did they achieve their goal? What was the consequences? Because the players are there. Things happen. Yep. All right. You want to you wanna do closing thoughts? Yeah. Is there anything more you want to discuss about? No, I think everything else fits. Yeah. With, within some other questions and stuff. But uh, I, 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 will, I will let you lead. What do you think Blades in the Dark do well? And you can skip over all of my paragraphs of craziness unless they already fit. Uh, that, that's good because I didn't write any of my own on this one. I noticed. I was far too busy with yep. today. So, um, but but no, seriously, off the top of my head, um, Blades in the Dark um, sets out to be a very specific thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it does not try to fall into a lot of those pit traps that like a lot of the other role playing systems do. You know, um, we discussed this earlier in our own private conversation that like. Um, you can feel a lot of older games mm-hmm. still tried to mimic that, like, that old role-playing formula. You yeah. know, you have to have physical stats. You have mm-hmm. to have mental stats. Mm-hmm. You have to have a group of skills. You have to have an established combat system with an uh, initiative order and some form of hit points where you can have damage. You have to have armor and, 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 and. We discussed Vampire the Masquerade being a great example of this. How... It's set out to be a game of personal horror mm-hmm. and a very social, very political game. Discussing humanity. But yeah. handed you the same tools that Dungeons & Dragons hands you with them, with just different dice to represent them. Yeah. And then people wondered why those games devolved into just combat twinking, mm-hmm. you know? Because of course they're going to. Mm-hmm. They handed you the same tool set D&D hands you. Mm-hmm. Of course, you're going to solve all your problems with violence when you can move faster than sound and, you know, throw cars at people. And there's no consequences truly to Diablery. Right. Nothing that can't be mitigated. Right. Oh, but your humanity stat, who cares? It barely has any mechanical difference, you know, impact on me whatsoever. And I think we're seeing a big move away from that in in role-playing games where games are starting to realize that they don't have to follow a formula mm-hmm. and hand you the same menu, the same bill of goods that every other popular role-playing game before them has done, you can tailor your experience to tell a type of story that you're trying to tell. Mm-hmm. You know, and this doesn't go for generic systems like Suede because Suede, you know, Savage Worlds does, is meant to be generic. It's meant to be able to represent wide and number of things. Blades in the Dark sets out to tell crime stories about criminal crews in a dark Victorian fantasy setting. Mm-hmm. Very specific. Mm-hmm. But it hones every single one of its mechanics like a blade <laughs> to precisely render that experience for you. Mm-hmm. No more and no less. Yeah. No, I think that's I think that's accurate. And that is the greatest compliment I think I can play I, I, I can I can give this game. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. Um, I will say that, first off, the game book itself is exceptionally well designed. Mm -hmm. I love it in in all its forms, despite some of the detractions that I will say that it is a a lot of wall of text when staring at it. That was my major disagreement with it. Um, I will still say that it does it exceptionally well. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Um, because at every turn, I knew within a page or two was going to be a summary done in a graphic or something graphical and an example that is clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then sometimes a simplistic outline of what I just read again. So the reinforcements are quick, easy, and accessible. Yeah. And the whole playthrough, there's whole playthrough sections that go through various things that are all by themselves. They're not chopped up within the sections within the book. There are small blurbs that give you like a paragraph of, of what this would look like in play. Yeah. The but in the back of the book, really good. 100% great. Mm-hmm. They're not super artsy, but they're artsy enough to give you the feeling, but also explain exactly what's going on at the table. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is incredible how close the inspirations had connections and that inspiration, those inspirational connections and the acknowledgements helped me understand the points that were trying to be made and, and the pulls that were coming from these other systems. Um, there are so many things I want to steal. I just want to thief everything. I want, I want to steal the devil's bargains. I want to steal the factions. I want to steal the flashbacks, the stress system. I want to throw it in other places and just go crazy. I love it all. You don't have to steal it if you're playing the system. I'm with you, and I get that. I'm just saying. Yeah, it's true. I'm not saying. I'm not saying. I'm just saying. I think the few thing, the other thing that this game has a has a a issue with is scope creep, and and what I mean by that is that you can very quickly fall back into epic campaign mind. Yeah, yeah, I agree. When you're not at the table with your players. You can lose yourself in the campaign design and forget what game you're playing. Yeah. Because there's so many components. You're practically playing a game by yourself. We've seen this in other systems. Uh, uh, X without you know, XWN mm-hmm. has that within its own faction. There's a whole faction system, like or world system or whatever. Where, yeah, sure. Where it's it's its own game. Mm-hmm. You don't even need a player. You can just run it. You know, mm-hmm. this faction system feels that way, and I could see storytellers getting lost in creating it or doing something different than what the book has did you um did you ever watch uh daredevil on netflix i watched a little bit of it um so the the story especially like the 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 very first ones uh the whole saga between daredevil and kingpin Uh um and even i think later seasons when uh punisher comes in and stuff like that Uh um you realize as for as epic as that struggle and that that whole season yeah. was and so that took place on like four city blocks, right? Yeah, yeah. And to me, that was like, okay, you know what? Keep keep in mind, we're we're doing Daredevil, not Avengers, right? You know, there is a lot of story you can tell in four city blocks. One hundred percent agree. Yep. Yep. No, I I agree. I completely agree. Um, and that's that's that whole scope design that we talk about. Just Stop looking away from the from what the players can see. Yep, yep, exactly. All right, your, your player your players are a bunch of ragtag dudes living in a burnt out you know uh, building on the far end of a of a forgotten street in the warehouse district. You know, yeah. think think Fight Club, Paper Street oh, Soap so Company. Much. Yeah, okay, Paper Street Soap Company is the classic crew hideout. Yep, you know, and you watch that crew grow from yeah. two people. Is it two people? Is it two, two people? Technically. 
Yeah. Is it three people? Does Marla count? Yeah. Um, Marla never counted. To, you know, that whole Project Mayhem, like, yeah. you watch that whole thing blow up, and they they, they, they still live in this burnt-out thing yeah. on an industrial road, you know? Yep. It's um, true. It's true. Yeah. Uh, for me, I think the thing that... Um, uh, I, I think there was, there was two things that, that I, I don't think Blades in the Dark did terribly well, or, or I should say put me a little bit off about it. Okay. Um, they were barriers for me to get through. I Not not things that they didn't do well, but they were barriers for me sure. to, to, to get through. To Hurdles. The system. Yeah. Road bumps. Um, one hurdle of the system is uh, that, like you said, it's very wall of texty. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a lot of words to describe some very basic mechanics. Okay. For instance, task resolution. Yes. Just how to resolve a task yeah. is like five pages long. Yes. And that is very intimidating. If you don't see through, if you don't read between the lines and understand that they are going over every last possible strata and explaining the reason behind every single rule of why you would need to do this or this or this, it looks like if you just skimmed it, you look at it and you go, this is five pages of task resolution. This looks like too much. Yeah. And then you realize that there's 20 pages of task resolution that does not complete the D&D task resolution. Yeah, well, Outline. Um... (laughs) But the other thing that it doesn't do well, and I'm gonna I'm gonna take a page right out of Z Bashaw, uh-huh. the uh, the YouTuber who does the uh, the animated spell books. Yeah, yeah. If you haven't seen him, look him up. Go look him up. Um, is uh, he he made a video where he touched on Blades in the Dark, mm-hmm. and one of his big criticisms is there are so many buzzwords in this game. Oh my god, yes. It reminded me so much of reading the One Ring RPG. Yeah, no, where, I can like, see that. Everything has it's a well this is this will cost you a point of valor unless you use honor in which point you will get inspiration but only if you use heroics and there are consequences and and there are consequences which will cause darkness points which will then lead up to vice but only but vice can only match your virtue it's like how many buzzwords are we going to use here for you know just how many point systems playing against each other now blades in the dark doesn't do the different like interacting like things like that but like Every member of your crew has its own little buzzword name, you know? Yeah. Um, every type of crew has a buzzword name. Uh, you you don't have cops, you have blue coats. I mean, that was an easy one, but, right. like, again, they changed the name of something that is commonplace and made it something else. I mean, Shadowrun does that. Sure. Well, there's sure. a lot of systems that do that. And even, like, Power of the Apocalypse is, is notorious within their player cards of changing the the terminology used for your approach. I'm not I'm not saying this is the only game to no, ever do no, it. No, but I'm saying it is... I'm saying having to learn an entire lexicon full of lingo to just make it through the game yeah. is its own barrier for entry. I agree. I agree. That's it. I that's agree. all I'm saying. Yep. That's true. That is true. It might not even be the worst game at it, but it is a barrier of <laughs> it entry. It is one of them. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's it. That's my critique. Honestly, I love I love this game. Um I read through it uh I have even in this even in this podcast subtly nudged Rob to run it so that I could play in it. Yes. Yes. Um I had a whole character concept cooked up halfway <laughs> through the first fifteen pages. Yep. And uh I, I would be so excited if uh, I got to play this game. Alright. So let's hit some questions. Alright. Uh, so Nevim asks, what makes Blades in the Dark so compelling? In one I've, sentence, I've what is it? I've literally never seen another game like this. Okay. 
I've literally never seen another game like this that does this style of storytelling and does it so well. Mm-hmm. But at the same, it, it's so finely honed to do the one very exclusive thing that it sets out to do. Mm-hmm. But like you said, so much of it is portable to other systems. So much. So much of this just feels natural mm-hmm. to me that I feel like I would say the most compelling thing for me is is that anyone at the table that I run on any of my games could play this. Yeah. Anyone. Yeah. Easily. Anyone. Easily. Um, what's the differences between Blades in the Dark and Forge in the Dark? Uh, trappings. Uh, yeah, um, I'll, I'll use the term trappings. For, Fortune Dark is the the SRD, the System Re- Resource Document, um, and that is the essentially genericized. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't take place in the steampunk Victorian thing. It doesn't take place anywhere. Mm-mm. It's just the rule system. Yeah, um, and is meant to be ported to whatever your property yep. is. Yep. Um, does the game have supplements and expansions? <laughs> Heck yeah, go find them. They're on the, they're on the site and all over Reddit. Yep, <laughs> enjoy yourself. Yep. Go 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 to drive through RPG. People love this. People love hacking it, and the creator loves people hacking it. So, uh, by all means, yeah, there's lots out there. What is missing, and what can be improved? I can't talk about what could be improved, other than to say that, um, and I, I say this about most people who create games like this, um, is uh, books need to be accessible. Yeah. Um, I think there's some improvement that could be done there. I can't even go into details as to what I would directly change, but I would say there's some accessibility. There's a little bit of accessibility there that could be improved. And that's, that is like a 2% like, Hey, this is something that could be done. Um, what's missing. I don't know. I really don't. Um, I think I'd have to play it for a while to really get a feel for what, what I feel is missing because nothing, there's literally nothing glaring at me that yeah. says it's missing. Having having not played a game of it, having only read yeah. the rule book, it's very difficult for me to say this that any aspect of this is lacking. Mm-hmm. It looks like a complete picture to me, but who knows? Yeah. All right, what else we got? Uh, so Benjico asks, uh, how easy would it be to incorporate the flashback mechanic into other systems? Uh, extraordinarily easy. Mm-hmm. The problem is cost. Is that in this game, stress is one of your resources. Um, and without having some kind of cost in that other system that you're in to be able to accommodate for this, um, it, it could feel trivial. Um, but the cost is very low. It's a low bar of entry based upon what the circumstances you're in. So I think like Savage Worlds, a Benny would definitely yeah, sure. be an easy cost if there was a cost at all, you mm-hmm. know, depending on what you were doing. I, I think I'd say, a Benny... I'd, say, I'd say a Benny's good. I mean, yeah. the, the, I think the problem we have in my game is that Bennies don't flow nearly enough. I don't think you guys have enough opportunities to use your Bennies. I think this would be great. And so, yeah, giving you more 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 instances to use Bennies would give me more incentive to give out more Bennies and keep the economy flowing. Yeah. Um, but I think if putting it into something like D&D might just help the narrative flow faster, mm-hmm. which I think is great. Like don't even make a cost bar on it. Just just make a decision on whether or not the whether or not they're rolling with advantage or disadvantage. That's it. Yeah. If it's if it's something simple, just make them roll. If it's something that's, you know, uh that's not uh, that that's now risky for them to do or something that would have had a you know, have a questionable outcome, make them roll with disadvantage. Done. 
Sure. That's it. There, there, you're done. There's your cost. I think that the bigger question um, would be not would it be easy enough to incorporate because it's super easy to incorporate. Yeah. All you're literally doing is saying, what if I had already handled this problem? Right. Okay, make a roll. That you can do that in any game system. Mm-hmm. Um, but the I think the question is narratively, how would it impact the feel of the game? Mm-hmm. Flashbacks fit in this game because they represent the uh, the idea that your characters are already planning scores. You're in the area. You're making the plans. Now you're just executing them. Yeah, like, of course you planned this. Right. We want to stop you from having to actually physically plan it as players. Right. We want to assume your characters have already done that, so flashbacks allow us to just say, yeah, of course you had a contingency for this. Of course you thought ahead to this to this mm-hmm. event. Of course there would be a locked door and you would pickpocket the key for it. Why wouldn't you? You're a trained criminal. I don't know that you have that luxury in other games, though. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, but again, entirely depends on what type of story you're, you're, yeah. you're running here. The, the conceit that's going to come with that is that you are a professional in your field and you would have accounted for this contingency. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. So... If you are doing like a survival gritty based Dungeons and Dragons hex crawl uh, OSR style game, I don't think flashbacks fit with that because they take out a large part of what I think OSR is all about. And Mm -hmm. that is doing the planning and, you know, the game hating you and wanting you to suffer. Yeah. Or Um, executing unprepared. Yeah, exactly. And and you suffering if you do go in on, you know, execute Mm -hmm. unprepared. You know, um, but if you are playing a lighter, more heroic game where success is, is is assumed and you're just there to tell a fun narrative with your friends and, you know, like like my home game, you're you're playing with the heroes never die special rule because uh, living heroes tell more interesting stories. Yeah. I'm not there to kill my players. I'm not there to make it a little hard experience. Mm-mm. I'm there to make it a fun experience. Right. Yeah. Then flashbacks could fit. Especially if you're in a small area. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're in a defined area that the events are going on, like Kids on Bikes is, it would be a great example where you could easily throw this in. Yeah, sure. Without a problem. Absolutely. Um, you could argue to a degree that it wouldn't work for something like uh, Mouse Guard because it doesn't need it. It's not, you're, 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 you're going through an adventure. The flow of the game is different. Yeah. And there's more of a collaboration of how that story unfolds. Mm-hmm. I don't think you need a flashback because time isn't that big of, a, of an issue. Right. You know, narrative sequence isn't that big of an issue. No. You can just, like, in the middle of something be like, oh, hey, what if this happened while that was unfolding? Like, Boom, done. Okay, cool, done. Yeah, it know? happened. Yeah, all of that. Um, yeah, I think that, that pretty much sums that up. All right. Um, so 22Bebo asks, um, system agnostic question here that I'm sure you've talked about before. I have a player who is having trouble finding their character's motivation. Hmm. We've talked about it outside of character a bit, but haven't really found a solution yet. To make matters worse, they are playing into the lone wolf archetype a bit, where their character is pretty standoffish Mm. even with other PCs. For example, the character often goes to get a drink alone at the bar instead of talking to the PCs in downtime scenarios. Any suggestions on what I can do to help them find motivation? All right, so here's the two things I'm going to say. Um, First off, I'm going to get the elephant out of the room and say, if you're playing a lone wolf character in a team-based game, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that being said, um, if you're playing a lone wolf character in a team-based game, it is your obligation as a player at the table to meta. 
everyone at the table needs to know what's going on. Mm -hmm. So if you're sitting in the corner waiting for someone to ask you about your dead wife that you don't talk about, but you have a locket that you look at constantly, then they need to know about the damn locket. Right? Mm -hmm. So that they can open that door. If, if If that's the gateway to getting to know your character, it has to be not just obvious in the way you describe things, but it has to be 100% part of the story. The storyteller needs to be aware, and the players around you need to be aware. Yeah, agreed. Because they may not give two squats. They may just think you're a, a crappy player at the table. Yep. Um. So those are the two pieces that I'm going to say right off the bat. I honestly hate the concept of a lone wolf in a team-based game. If you're if you're doing an OSR Morkborg game where you're the silent fighter who's just running along with everybody else and sits in the corner and sharpens their blade, that's not a problem. That's not a problem because it's Morkborg. Mm-hmm. Build another character when that one dies. Move on. And they will. And they will. Mm-hmm. But if this is D&D, team-based, adventure-based, everybody working together for a common goal, great. You can have conflicts you can have differences of opinions. You can even have silence at times. But it, all of that revolves around the players knowing the meta. Yeah. Um, I think my input on this uh, is that I think this is an out-of-character problem, and I don't think solving it in-character is the solution. Um, you do mention that you've talked them out of character a bit, um, but haven't really found a resolution. Uh, I, I would, I would just outright ask them like, no, go ahead. Okay. I, I'm just going to hold my thought here for a second. Uh, okay. So just, I mean, outright ask them like, why is this character in the group? If they can't come up with a sufficient answer for that, then they shouldn't be in the group. You know, yep. They, they have to have some common ground to stay with a group of adventurers and continue to watch each other's backs in intense situations, you know, mm-hmm. to to work together as a team for a common goal. Like, there there has to be something there binding them together. Yep. You don't just literally follow three strangers around that you don't like and aren't interested in mm-hmm. and continue to do that day in, day nope. out. Okay? Um. To give you kind of a personal example, um, I played a lone wolf character in a previous game. Now, for better or for worse, maybe I was maybe I was the asshole. I don't I, I don't know. I'm not interested in the answer to that right now. Um, but it was brought up to the to the storyteller that my character was offstandish and they didn't like me playing the lone wolf character. But the key thing was is that I had I, I had everyone's back. Anytime it ever mattered. I never, I was never self-interested, okay? Mm-hmm. And that was the thing, is I was just quiet and brooding and angry, but I was a team player about it. And when we did finally, but the storyteller confronted me out of out of character and said, hey, what's going on with your character? Because everybody else thinks they're, 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 they're a jerk. I said, well, I've got this dark backstory and no one's asked me about it. And he went, and no one's going to because they all are afraid of your character. Right. So I went out of my way to do a scene that revealed why my character was offstandish and angry and, you know, all, all that jazz. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then suddenly people were like, oh, wow, we never realized you fought your way out of the slave mines. Are those all whip scars on your back? And I went, yes. Yes, they are. 
and now you understand why every single one of the bad guys has to die. And they went, oh, we get it. Is there anything we can do? And we're like, yes, continue to have my back like I've had yours, and we're all going to be good. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, everybody was like, oh, wow, what a team player. Right. We love this character. A- and suddenly, the, my angry broodingness was just like, no, we get it. We get it. This person has had a rough life, and we've got their back. Mm-hmm. You know? Maybe there just needs to be a scene like that. But the, but the but the point is, though, is that that character, even if the player doesn't know what the character's motivation is, they're not going to be able to get that scene. They have to be able to articulate why they're part of the group, why they're adventuring with these people, what their, what their own personal drive is, and how that ties to the rest of the group. And, I mean, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I think the, the, the obvious answer is if they can't articulate a good reason why their character is part of this group, they shouldn't be. They should mm-hmm. roll a new character that has a reason to be with the group. Yep. Period. Yeah. Um, I'm going to... One thing that came into my mind that might help as a whole. Um, for this particular person, this particular player and their character, one of the things that Mouse Guard does exceptionally well if they're having a hard time finding their motivation, one of the things that Mouse Guard does exceptionally well is set you up every time on your character sheet with a belief, a goal, and an instinct and an instinct. The belief is something your character holds. It is an actionable belief of of what they of who they are. Their goal is something they set every time they go on an adventure. What is their goal for the adventure? And the instinct is what they do without a thought. And those three things, if you just tell your player, I want you to have a card, Mm -hmm. before you even come to game, I want to know what your character's belief is. Yeah. Put that down. Whatever it is. Yep. You could change it at, at, you know, between games if necessary. If you Mm -hmm. feel that it doesn't quite fit. But that needs to be the thing you stare at. What is the thing that drives them? What is the yep. goal they're trying to accomplish? What is well, the... the goal is when they sit down at the table and you're in your adventure, write down what your character believes their goal is for that adventure. Well, that, that's more of a short-term thing. I'm, I'm right. saying is, is but belief is more of like oh, a yes. long-term life philosophy right. that gets you out of bed every day. Correct. Yeah, So, but when they come to the game, have them write their goal down. Mm-hmm. What is your goal for this adventure? Your character's goal, not the group goal, your character's goal. Maybe it reflects part of the group's goal. Like, when this is, when we finish this guy off, I'm taking his sword. Sure. Great. Absolutely. That's a goal. And then, what is your instinct? Is it something that you, that you react to almost everything with? Are you the first person to move when mm-hmm. a fight breaks out? Are you the first one to take cover? You know? Are, are you the, what is your instinct? Never move in haste. Exactly. Yep, that's mine. First mouse yours, forward. First mouse forward is yours. It's mine. Yep. And all of that helps that player stare at their motivations. And every single time they have a question of what would my character do in this situation, they can look at those things. Yep, okay? exactly. Okay, a tense situation happens for Oak, your, mm-hmm. your, your guard mouse. Yep. You look at your character sheet and it says first mouse forward. Okay, I guess I'm drawing my sword and taking a step forward at yep. that weasel. Yep. Or I'm throwing my shield between exactly between that thing and my people. Exactly. My character is never act in haste. Always always have a plan. Right. So while you're drawing your sword and moving forward, you're buying me time to go, okay, what assets do we have? 
Mm-hmm. What liabilities yeah. do we have? How do we want this to turn out? What is the plan and who can I command to do what? But those three simple things, the belief, the goal, and the instinct will help that individual player. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying you shouldn't have all your players at your table doing this. Some of them could do this pretty fast yeah, if sure. they know their characters well. Sure. I think the second piece, which I think is almost more important for a lone wolf, this, when the word lone wolf hits the table, the first thing you should do is look at that player and say, if you want to be a lone wolf character, you need to give me three things. Number one, you must have a bond with another character at this table. And yes. that bond must be as must be as strong, if not stronger, than best friendship. I don't care if you don't talk to them, but you have their back as 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 a fighter, fighter to fighter. You, you will stand shoulder silent to shoulder. protector exactly. that watches from afar, but you will guard them. Right. Yeah. You will have somebody at the table that you know a secret about mm-hmm. the truth that you will never ever give up. Mm-hmm. And the last one is there's somebody at the table that you need to fix. Something that maybe they don't even know about. I maybe you him. maybe you wronged them in a previous life and yep. they were unaware. Maybe it's maybe it's five bucks you owe him, but a he just won't paid. He just yeah. won't take it. Those three things right there will bond them to the table, and every game session you can lean into those with that player. Sure. Boom, done. Now your lone wolf can be a lone wolf, but they are one hundred percent engaged with that group. Mm-hmm. Done. Yeah. So there. That's my. That's my gift to you is two different systems because that bond system comes from Dungeon World. Yep. And the belief, the belief, goal, and instinct comes from Mouseguard. Comes from Mouseguard. Beautiful. These are kit bashing to make things work. Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with doing that. I highly recommend it. There's your. There's your answer. Twenty two Bebo. All right. <laughs> well. Uh, all right, so next week's topic, we're going to be talking a little bit about um, progression systems in games, uh, horizontal yeah. progression versus vertical progression, um, uh, and what that kind of does to power curves within games, what that does to advancement systems and whatnot. And how does it, does it, like, does it make it easier? Does it make it harder? Is it obvious? Yeah. Like, this game has a very low curve to it. How does that really affect it? And what does that even mean? You know, yeah. So because so... a lot of times you're not thinking about advancement when you look at a system, and other times, much like D and D, the advancement system is so blatantly in front of the character that that's all they can think about. <laughs> Here is the fighter. Here is how it advances. <laughs> like before you get into the fighter, they yep. show you the chart of advancement. They're trying to tell you how they want that game to go. Yep. But yep, we'll yep, get yep, into yep. all of that. All right. You can find us on Twitter at st underscore conclave on Instagram at st underscore conclave listen to us live every wednesday night uh at 7 p.m eastern time on mixlr.com slash storyteller dash conclave and uh join us up on our discord shoot us some questions and uh join the other storytellers up there that uh love to discuss different games different systems and different uh, storytelling conundrums you can find that link on our twitter as well as our website storytellerconclave.com We'd like to thank we'd like to thank our Patreon members who uh, support us every single month and continue to do so. It helps us out every time, especially our name members: Knox in the Box, Sam, uh, Subjet, uh, the Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion, Veteran, Sean, Hulavu. We truly appreciate all your support. Our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. You can find that at patreoncom slash Anthems. Our intro music uh, was Beyond the Warriors by Geefrog. You can find that at geefrog.bandcamp.com or on Google Music. And our outro music, which you're hearing right now, is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find them at freemusicarchive.org. And a big shout-out, as always, to our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank you so much Thank for you. loving and supporting us and uh, being patient with us when we go long <laughs> on uh, nights like tonight. Indeed. Uh, 
all of our friends who sat with us at our tables who gave you these great stories to share with you over the years and you, every single one of our listeners. We love you guys so much. Love you. Good night. Good night.